all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. There's a stigma and a big misconception that eating disorders are a life choice, but research has shown that it is much more. Have you wondered if you might have an eating disorder? Do you know someone who has struggled with what you think might be anorexia or bulimia? Today we'll talk about what eating disorders are and how to get help. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your experiences and comments with us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning and thanks for listening and joining us this morning. Today we're talking about something that is probably more common than you think, eating disorders. So there's a stigma and a, a really huge misconception that eating disorders are, are sort of a life choice. It's something you decide to do and you can get out of it if you just want to. But research has shown that it's really much more than that. So my question to you listeners is have you wondered if you might have an eating disorder yourself? Or do you know someone who has struggled with what you think might be anorexia or bulimia or is there that person out there who's always going on a diet trying something new and it seems like they're always back in the same boat or is that you today we'll talk about eating disorders what they are how to get help some of the research behind the new help in um, working with individuals with eating disorders and and where you can go for more information and more help. Um, so before we get going, we have a special guest today um, with us, Marsha Hale, who is a licensed professional counselor and workforce development manager at Mississippi Public Health Institute in Ridgeland. Welcome, Marsha. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. She is here to talk to us about a workshop that her group will be sponsoring about eating body um, it's called Emotional Eating, Body Image, and Shame. And um, it's being put on by Judith Matz, and it's on November the 15th. She is not here today, but will be here in town um, at the Mississippi Public Health Institute on November 15th, right, yes. Marcia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, she'll be an individual who can... Uh, Talk to people about the the way that eating disorders are approached therapeutically. What I wanted to do, though, is give you some basic information about eating disorders today, um, the research behind it, the misconceptions that are out there, and how common it really is. And so one thing that we all know is about 95% of people who are in diets will gain the weight back in less than two years. Two-thirds, two-thirds end up even heavier than their pre-diet weight. So there's still millions of people, though, who are trying diets and um, going through 
eating disorders of different sorts. Um, before we get into one of the newer disorders, I want to talk about the ones that many people know um, very well. Anorexia. People have a view in your head about what anorexia is. It's individuals who don't eat and who are real thin, right? Um, and then the bulimia are people who eat, maybe look normal, but do purging, vomiting after they eat, or using laxatives. Um, so we'll talk about real specific definitions of that as we go along, but that in general is is the are the two that have long been um, part of the eating disorder complex. So why do people get it? Um, what happens? How do eating disorders start, and who do they affect? Eating disorders really can affect all people, um, racial, ethnic groups. There's some people who are more commonly affected, right, Marcia? Yes. Yeah, and, and what groups of those individuals might more commonly have an eating disorder? Well, over the years, the research has discussed a person with the anorexia or bulimia may come from a chaotic family, mm -hmm. um, and then they turn to the eating disorder to control because that's all they have in their life they can control. Right. And then they get to the point where they can eat right. the anorexic. Right. Um, and the binge eating, you know, is the binging and purging, which is another form of control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, looking at the research, it, it does seem like there is a, a complexity to what causes a disorder. It's certainly environment, um, genetics, uh, behavioral, like you mentioned, um, psychology, social factors, certainly all are a piece of that. Uh, there's been some work on, on the genetics piece. It's, I think, a really interesting part. And then when you look at personalities of who is more prone to have an eating disorder, it, it seems that it's that perfectionistic mm -hmm. individual, right? Yes. Um, the, the type A who expects everything to be um, right in line. Um, the individual perhaps who is more anxious. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, if you're highly anxious and there's something you can control, then it might be, well, at least I can control what I eat. Mm -hmm. What goes uh, in and out. What goes in and out, right. And then the the other um, piece of it seems to be the individual who perhaps is a little bit more introverted, um, which sometimes goes along with anxiety. But um, research out of uh, Southern California has has shown that there are also some. You know, we talk a lot about neurochemicals on this show, and the happy uh, neurochemicals and the ones that help with mood and disorders. And it seems that um, some individuals, particularly those with the the diagnosable severe anorexia or bulimia, are individuals who have something not quite right with their serotonin system and the binding of the serotonin, which um, is key in most many mood disorders, um, is not, not exactly right. Um, so without going into any kind of deep science, I think in fairness, as we talk through eating disorders, um, it does seem that this is something that you can't just expect somebody to control, right? Correct. On, on, yeah. on their own, um, it is treatable. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes, though, difficult. Yes. I would, um, if I sought treatment, I would sure go to a person that is versed in eating disorders. And we have some in the area, but per capita for therapists and counselors, Mississippi lacks in this. We really do. Um, and yeah. we don't have any inpatient eating disorders clinics, which is really, we do need that. 
Yeah, there's some good help out there if if our, any of our listeners need more information on eating disorders after this show. Um, we'll have some information posted. The National Institute of Mental Health has some some great information on there and, and how to seek help because many times individuals with eating disorders um, feel trapped and feel very depressed. Yes. Right. Which could be a part of the disorder. When you um, stop eating, then your brain chemicals get all out of whack. Exactly. And so, you know, we're saying that with eating disorder, your serotonin and your dopamine, those neurochemicals that are supposed to help you navigate through life, um, are not doing what they need to do. Your typical reward center is not um, feeling what it should. Your executive function, the front part of your brain, often is not thinking the way it should. And so many times you need help. So, um, listeners, we'd love for you to join in. If you've had problems, if you have friends with issues or relatives or even children, because this can start in childhood, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.com. Dot org. Michelle. Hey, good hey. morning. Good morning. Yeah. Thank our, I'm glad our guest is here to talk about this um, serious issue. As a parent of a, of a teenager, and I know it's a lot of parents listening, what are some signs uh, that you can, as a parent, you can look for in your teenage daughter, that, especially when they're looking at how they look and they're so um, concerned about image? And is it, are eating disorders necessarily uh, for girls or do boys do uh, do men uh, have eating disorders as well it there's a higher prevalence in females than males usually if a male has an eating disorder it's more difficult to treat right um, for whatever reason that is but some signs that you can look for in your teenager is food restriction exercising or over exercising restricting a certain food like sugar, bread, meat, you know, um, and controlling other things in their life too, which Dr. Buttress mentioned early, earlier that it can go hand in hand with some other things like obsessive compulsive disorder. So when you say uh, omitting certain foods nowadays, I mean, veganism and everything right. is uh, not a fad, but everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, keto diet, this, mm-hmm. no meat here, no sugar, this. So when do you know it's a problem? Because if my 16 year old and she's a athletic um, child, so she plays sports and she says, I don't want to uh, eat sugar anymore. Mom, I'm watching the calories and things like that. Should I, you know, be on alert or should I say, OK, good, good job. And that's good for you. I would ask why do you want to restrict that? Why are you cutting this out? Right. Asking, I think that's a really good point, is is find out why. Um, if it's because we want to be healthy, you know, my comment often is I love, I love a good piece of dark chocolate or I love a wonderful, well-made uh, cake. But... Um, I certainly know in my mind that none of us need simple sugars. None of us do. And so I wouldn't get into an argument about, well, you can't restrict sugar. Um, it's not It's not right. It's un-American. Um, <laughs> so ask, ask why. Is it to be healthy? Um, that's one thing. If we want to be a vegan because we don't believe um, in eating uh, meat because you feel like it's cruelty, that's one thing. But if it's because you know someone who is vegan and who is very thin and you want to look like that body image uh, that you have in your mind, then then that's another issue. So a, a lot of teenagers, remember peer pressure. Yes, is is huge. And the way um, media portrays and and all of media portrays, that's printed media in addition, um, a beautiful individual is someone who typically is thin. And no matter how much you 
you hear and see the pushback on that, it still circles back around. And the next thing you know is that there's that extremely thin model out there who, who many times, if it's in printed media, it's it's something that's been doctored up, right, with the, the Photoshopping. So as you move along, just before we go to break, let's talk about just some real specific symptoms like the really extremely restricted eating where they act almost fearful of um, having anything at all. Um, the, the picking through to make sure that there's not a carbohydrate in the mix sometimes is a sign. Extreme weight loss, extreme thinness uh, can be one um, or the uh, intense fear of gaining weight, um, being very upset if a pound goes up, and then having a real the distorted body image. Um, this is more for anorexia. Um, is a real distorted body image. Looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing an individual who is who is well overweight and needs to do something when the reality of it, that individual is a normal size. Those are, those are significantly negative signs that all those that I just mentioned are signs that um, would tell me that we need to seek help. Okay. So we're going to go on to our first break. When we get back, we'll talk about some other symptoms as you move along of anorexia. And then we'll talk a little about bulimia and then the new diagnosis, binge eating. Um, Give us a call. Join in. Ask your questions or tell us about um, a a case that you know of. We'd love to hear from you. 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm glad you're with us today. We're talking about eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, and and then we're going to talk about a, a diagnosis that is relatively new as diagnoses go, and that's binge eating. Um, we were talking about some of the signs and symptoms of um, eating disorders, and I wanted to add a few other uh, symptoms of an individual who has a significant eating disorder that is affecting um, their health. And you may know someone out there who has some of these signs and symptoms. And in my mind, when you start seeing these, you know that that individual is damaging their body and um, could be wreaking havoc on many of their organs in their body. So an intervention needs to happen, and you need to not be afraid of doing something about it, approaching it as if this is truly a medical issue, because it is. I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions about this. Um, Do you know someone? Do you see some of these symptoms in someone you love? Have you tried to seek help? Are you looking for some help? You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. So, you know, the intense fear of gaining weight or distorted body image is one thing, but 
some other things that can happen over time that can kind of sneak up on you are brittle hair and nails. A lot of women will complain of that. And my comment often is, um, have you looked at your diet? What are you doing? Are you getting enough omega-3 fatty acids? Are you getting enough other vitamins and minerals in your diet? So really dry skin or um, skin that has an odd tone to it, Uh, hair that's um, fine uh, growth over your body, lanugo, that happens when you become really, really thin. You'll have a fine hair growth across your body. Um, Memory issues may occur. Uh, other, Other things, sleep problems can occur. Um, Often you'll see individuals who um, have their body metabolism out of whack is that their internal body temperature may drop. So they appear cold all the time. So many times these individuals will have um, heavy jackets on or heavy sweaters that they wear uh, that are inappropriate to the temperature out there. So um, if if that occurs, that's something to keep in mind. Um, so what happens, and, and I think many times from a biologic peop- sense, people don't understand this, is if you calorie restrict a lot, what happens is your body meta- metabolism drops. And so your body turns into sort of a starvation mode. So what people who find when they chronically diet that now they can eat just a very little amount and they still find that they gain weight. So that chronic dieting where you're always calorie restricted makes your body shift into starvation mode and to try to use as few calories as possible. So your heart rate drops, your body temperature drops, your blood pressure drops, and so all of that changes to try to save calories. Um, So um, I hope that makes sense to everybody as to why sometimes that chronic dieting just does not work. Um, so, Marsha, let's talk a little bit about the the diagnosis that I think there might be many people out there who can relate to. And I believe it's more common than most people think, and that's the binge eating, which has been added to our new DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual the Psychiatric Association puts out about the different diagnoses. And it is... It's been added because it has been shown to be a significant problem, right, Marsha? Right. This was added to the 2013 DSM. Um, And if you read the prevalence, it says disorder among U.S. adults. So, you know, other countries probably have binge eating problems, but it's probably more of an American problem than um, France or Italy or other places in the world. And the diagnostic criteria, it describes it, or the definition is recurrent episodes of binge eating characterized by eating large amounts of food within a two-hour period, eating much more rapidly than normal, eating until you're uncomfortably full. Um, The good thing about this show today is it's coming up to Thanksgiving and how many of us feel that way after we've eaten our Thanksgiving meal. Right. And so absolutely. And so not trying to make people dread the holidays, but but this is a good time to think about how you eat and what you eat and and why you eat it. I think so many times um, there are these huge feasts set out. I know at our house, we do that. We have our big, huge family gathering on Thanksgiving. All my siblings and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren gather at my mother's home, and it's a, it's a very festive time and very exciting time. And um, we love good food, but, um, but 
the issue is you can still love good food and you can still engage in eating almost anything without engaging in binge eating. So so why does this develop? Um, as I was looking through um, the the research piece, it was sort of difficult to discern exactly why the the binge eating particularly has developed. Um, I know that when individuals have been food restricted or in a starvation um, mode for a long time due to neglect or abuse or uh, just a terrible family um, poverty situation, many times people do engage in excessive mm-hmm. eating because of the the possibility that that terrible situation may happen again. Right? That's all I'm going to get. Um, right. And you've probably treated children, and I have in therapy where a child has been abused or neglected, and they they do things like hiding food. Right. Um, taking their neighbor's food off their tray in the cafeteria, stealing food. That, I don't believe, would come under binge eating the diagnosis. That's another probably anxiety. Right. Um, or just PTSD, yes, post-traumatic PTSD stress. Stemming um, from the abuse. Exactly. And neglect. But, you know, I think one one issue, and I'd love to hear from our listeners about this, you know, for the longest, and it seems like it's continuing, everything had to be bigger. Everything was supersized. You couldn't just order uh, an order of French fries, but they had to be supersized. You couldn't just order a burger, but it had to have four burgers and, you know, three buns or whatever. And so, you know, the the bigger, the better. And so the um, all-you-can-eat buffet situations, um, to me, do so much encouragement of eating more than you need and eating more than you're enjoying. Um, Because I, I, I think many people out there, if you're listening, haven't you ever had a really excellent meal, and then just stepped right over the line to where you're now uncomfortably full. And you go from having a really enjoyable meal to really not so much enjoying uh, the feeling. And so wouldn't it be nice if what we could do is enjoy whatever food we like in small amounts? We'd save money. um, We'd be healthier. Um, and we probably could savor the taste rather than than dealing with it, um, the subsequent issues. But again, I think to for me to say that and make it sound like it's easy for everybody, I know that's not true. And so we know that some individuals um, fall into a pattern and are not able to change it. So I want to make sure that everybody knows that that this is not something that everybody can conquer on their own. Um, so I, we need to go ahead and go to our second break. But when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the signs and symptoms. And then we'll talk about some of the things that you can do at home on your own. And then some of the signs that tell you you really need to turn to some real help. Joining the conversation, uh, we're talking about eating disorders. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Children grow and change so fast, it's important to help them build the strong foundations they need to help develop lifelong skills and succeed in school. Whether it's singing songs in the car or counting steps while walking to the mailbox, 
There are many ways to help young children learn new skills and reach new developmental milestones. Even before they can talk, babies can make connections and respond to adults' words, sounds, and facial expressions by clapping, waving, or smiling back at them. Not only is it fun, but it's important to talk, read, and sing with children. More at MississippiThrive.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Marsha Hale. We're talking about eating disorders and what they are, who has them. They're really more common than you think. Um, I want to spend a few minutes on uh, talking about bulimia, nervosa, and then um, we'll go back to um, some of the restricted eating, and I'll tell you about um, a personal issue that I once had, and and I I really would like to hear from others. Did you did you feel like maybe when you were a teenager or in college you struggled, perhaps with an eating disorder? If you did, did you were you able to overcome it? Did you conquer it? And and how do you think you did that? Um, and why do you think it started? So bulimia is. Um, a disorder where people have recurrent and frequent episodes of eating unusually large amounts of food and and feeling sort of out of control during these episodes. And then they will engage in forced vomiting or excessive use of laxatives or diuretics or fasting to try to overcome this. So people with bulimia might be slightly underweight or they may be of a typical weight, or they might be overweight. So individuals with eating disorders are not all thin. I want everybody to completely understand that. And then certainly the binge eating disorder, many times individuals um, are overweight because of the, the binge eating that they have without the bulimia nervosa component. So what happens, though, if you engage in um, the chronic vomiting issue? Um, There'll be um, the the chronic vomiting is terrible for your teeth, your tooth enamel. Um, Swollen salivary glands often happen your esophagus, your tube from your um, mouth into your stomach uh, can get terribly inflamed and you can develop um, ulcers. You can get an electrolyte imbalance. It can be something really, really uh, a terrible thing on you. Um, and the electrolyte imbalance can happen in anorexia or in uh, bulimia. And when that happens, it can lead to heart arrhythmias. It can be a very, very dangerous thing. And and many people die yes. from anorexia. About, what, 10% of I individuals, so. I believe, is the right um, data, can can die from, from that. If we think back to Karen Carpenter, one of our you know, yeah. famous musicians had... She fought it for years and then died from heart failure. Right, she did. And and certainly there are people, I mean, there are treatment centers set up that work very hard trying to com- combat this. Now, I want to go, um, well, let's see. Let's go on to the phones before we go any further. We have um, Les, and Les, where are you? 
I'm I live in DeSoto County, though I'm not a native Mississippian. Oh, Hi, I, you don't sound like a native Mississippian. Where are you originally from, Les? Uh, Great Britain. Great Britain. Well, thanks for calling in. Tell us what your thoughts are about. Um, I'm a former soldier, a combat veteran from the Falklands War, and there's been some research done, uh, in, basically by the Royal Army Medical Corps, about the connection between post-traumatic stress disorder in soldiers and eating disorders. Uh, I understand the research is ongoing, but they tend to go hand in hand with substance abuse, depression, and all of the other, well not all of them, but many of the other symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder from combat soldiers. And I wondered if uh, you might have any comments on that. I could see that going hand in hand. Um, You know, you've suffered trauma, so you want a part of your life that you can have some control over. Uh, I'm not real familiar with the research that you're talking about, but earlier I mentioned that a lot of people that have eating disorders, they have had a chaotic family. So if we look at the research that you're talking about, well, you've had other chaos in your life, and this may be an area that you can control. I believe the statistic is, and I don't have it in front of me, that persons that have eating disorders, 57% of those persons also have a trauma in their background. Then the higher the percentage of additional trauma, the higher the probability of an eating disorder will develop. That statistic just about matches our people with substance addiction. Those mm-hmm. same people that have substance additions have addictions have a higher probability of also having an eating disorder. Yeah, I understand. It's just that a friend of mine um, doesn't live in Mississippi. He actually, he actually lives in North Carolina. He's a combat veteran, and he suffered greatly and uh, PTSD. And I remember uh, he's a good dear friend, and his wife was telling me that. Uh, he goes through periods when he'll eat, he'll eat anything that's not actively glowing. And other times, you know, he will go four, five, six days mm-hmm. without eating anything at all. And uh, when she mentioned this to uh, the medical people at the VAR or whoever's administering it, they said, well, that doesn't seem to make any sense. And, and yet, I think if you talk to um, medical people from the armed forces, who spent any time around people who've been through the trauma of uh, um, service, combat, and whatever, will say, yeah, it, it is not unknown, and it's possibly more common than than people like to give it is. And I, I think it probably merits um, some research and some looking into the connections. Right. And as you say, also, with substance abuse, which we all know is horrifyingly common amongst um um, Military, right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, thanks, Les, for that. I I just have, um, I do have one statistic that says, uh, this was af- off the National Institute of Mental Health, a study that followed active duty military p- personnel over time showed that uh, Upwards of 6% of women and 4% of men had an eating disorder at the beginning of the study and and um, a few years of continued service um, about an ad- as the continued service um, was there, there appeared to be a 3% increase of women and um, a 2.5% more of men who developed eating disorders. So the longer the military service, I would imagine, especially in more traumatic situations, the more likely an individual is to develop an eating disorder. So, Les, thanks for bringing that up. Yes. That is something we need to stay aware of yeah. and look for. One, one point that, that um, actually goes um, in parallel to what you've just said, those figures um, are remarkably close, close to the statistics for depression as well. Absolutely. Uh, so there could be a connection there. 
Well, actually, there is. Um, according to researchers, their individuals with eating disorders have a much higher incidence of depression. And so, again, the link between serotonin receptors, those neurochemicals, and dopamine seem to be there. And so what it takes for an individual to to find pleasure in something um, from food or from being satisfied with food uh, seems to be that that connection just seems to not be there. So uh, you're right. It's it's all interlinked. There's a lot more research that we need to have done, though. We still don't don't know all we need to know about it. And that's probably why our treatment is still so difficult, right? Yes, and the the friend that you mentioned, he may be having some different things going on besides the eating disorder. He's not eating because maybe he's dissociating or, you know, is in the dregs of depression. And I would encourage a, a true eating disorders clinic if he's in... Um, North Carolina near Duke or Wake Forest, they both have pretty good eating disorder clinics. Mm-hmm. I'll, 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 be, I'll talk to his talk to him, talk to his wife about it. Um, and uh, I also think it puts pressure on the marriage, and that can add yes. an extra factor. Absolutely, to this, um, this stew of, of issues that people have. Anyway, thank you for for listening to me, and uh, ladies, have a great day. Thank, thank you. you for calling. All right, let's go to Kay in Starkville. Hi, Kay. Thanks for calling. Hello, how are you? Doing great. Tell us, do you have an experience about an eating disorder or a question? I have a question and experience. Um, I am a teacher of teachers, and so I uh, really like to uh, be be a scientist as I teach. And when I've been working with in-service teachers over the years, I've noticed that those who are seen as the most effective teachers are those that are, you know, very detail-oriented and outgoing and active and super helpful and hardworking, and they perform really well under pressure, and they're loyal. And and that's sort of what you see on the outside, but then on the inside, there's this um, overthinking and people-pleasing and inability to kind of slow down and they have trouble saying no, and they have a fear of failure, and they might be, you know, procrastinating or over planning or something like that, and just poor boundaries in general, and that's what loyalty looks like sometimes. And so they're kind of high-functioning, anxious people. Mm-hmm. And so I have then begun, you know, working with some obesity specialists and uh, researchers in the field of, of emotional um, imbalances. And it's just dawned on me that some of our most valued professions who work with people end up being reinforced to have this real high-functioning anxiety, Mm -hmm. which causes obesity. So I don't know how to ask the question, but it's an observation that I hope you might be able to speak a little bit to. What are those professions that are reinforcing things that make us physically unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy, and then those two things create this sort of vicious cycle. And and how can we look at that in a better way and and make some progress? Marcia, you have some comments. You know, here in America, we work, our 40-hour week is now a 60-hour week for most people, especially for school teachers. And a school teacher is probably innately a nurturer, so everybody in their life is going to be taken care of. And I think we're starting to give a label to people, which may be a, a good or a bad thing, compassion fatigue. Um, probably in the DS, next DSM will come out with that diagnosis that people that care for others are, like you say, they take care of everybody, and on the outside they look fine, but on the inside they're not because they're they're worn out. That's our nurses, doctors, you probably can attest <laughs> to that. Yeah. School teachers, therapists, um, dentists, you know, anybody that works one-on-one with people probably has a higher probability of developing this compassion fatigue. 
you take care of everybody else, but you're not taking care of yourself. And then you get in, in the wrong way of comforting yourself or soothing yourself. And many people will soothe, um, will seek comfort through food, yes. right? And so you, you can often set up a negative pattern. And then those individuals who spend a lot of time nurturing, caring for others, whether it's caring for a sick person or caring for uh, children or, or adults, um, you tend to be more sedentary and not moving about. And so it's that vicious cycle of, um, you know, just doing for others but not doing for yourself that um, well, I, yeah i've known my whole life um that uh the quickest way to get comfortable and soothed i mean really quick right mm-hmm. is to grab a little um doesn't even have to be tasty kind right. of food, but there's, <laughs> there's there, you know there's something about a fullness in my stomach that feels um, as you explained earlier, a, a little powerful. Mm-hmm. And so um, it doesn't even have to really taste good, and it could be the last thing in the pantry that nobody else likes to eat. But you'll just eat it But it's there. Yeah. It's there, and it's easy and it's simple, and you're exhausted. So I like that phrase of compassion fatigue. I, I just lump it all into the DSM-3 for high-functioning anxiety. But, but that compassion fatigue is a nice phrase, so I thank you for that and, and the rest of the, the talk you're giving today. And, and I'm going to um, say that you, you've done a great job of answering my question, and I'm going to keep listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kay, thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. And I think, you know, what Kay's talking about is a lot of people speak about comfort food. Mm-hmm. And comfort food is is often not high protein, um, low fat. Typically, it's it's going to be high in carbohydrates, something that feels soothing and satisfying and, and raises your blood sugar pretty quickly. And so that's that's the kind of pattern we often get into, which is a, a pretty negative pattern. I think I'm being told we need to take our final break. And when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about why anorexia, bulimia, binge eating is often missed. And then, again, we want to talk quickly about the help we can get. Um, this is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. anything on MPB Think Radio, you can always stay up to date by logging on to our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking, and I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Marsha Hell. We're talking about eating disorders. I want to say just a couple of things about eating disorders, and then I want to turn to Marsha, who's going to talk to us about some help that's out there here in Mississippi. So eating disorders are often missed by physicians, like me, because patients frequently don't disclose what's going on. They don't talk about their symptoms. And if they're near normal weight um, or what we would expect typical for their height, um, many times there's not a lot of questioning. So um, it's important, obviously, that physicians are more cognizant of it and aware that patients may have an undiagnosed eating disorder. So important to always talk about how do you eat? What do you eat? Tell me about your diet. And so think through that yourselves, um, listeners. Um, if you feel like you're on a bad path, do something uh, to get help. And if you have someone who maybe is out there who you think needs help, 
here's a little bit of advice. First, be non judgmental, knowing that there are some genetic and biologic issues out there that could be causing this. Um, you know, for forever, um, individuals were told that anorexia or bulimia was a choice um, or that they were vain or that they just wanted to be the thinnest person in the room. Stop that. Don't do that. Research shows that's not the case. And so we need to con. We need to make sure that we communicate to our loved ones, people who we care about, that we understand it's a biologic issue. It's something that you cannot help, but it seems like maybe you need help. So, Marsha, will you please tell us about the help that's coming? Yes. Um, We have a licensed clinical social worker coming to Mississippi, and she's going to be presenting on November the 15th at the Mississippi Public Health Institute, which is located at 829 Wilson Drive in Ridgeland. She will be there from 830 to 330, and she's going to present on emotional and binge eating, chronic dieting, and shame. The rest of the title is what therapists need to know, but this event is open to anyone. Anyone can take information from this and use it personally, certainly therapists, psychologists, um, counselors will be able to use it we will be offering ce's um, for social work lpcs and we have applied for educator ce's which is our teachers and our callers such as k if you're still listening we will have those ce's available and you can register at the mississippi behavioral health learning network and that's msbhln.org Great. Thank you, Marsha, so much. And I I think, but this can be for for just an individual who decides that they want to come in and and get some help. So this might be a great opportunity. Um, And then what can happen is then Judith or Marsha can help link you to ongoing services if, if those are needed, correct? Yes, and I will have our IT person, John, Um, post on our website today, the Mississippi Public Health Institute. There's a place in Ridgeland called Three Oaks Behavioral Health that treats eating disorders, and also Pine Grove in Hattiesburg treats them. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Marsha. We really appreciate it. it. Knowing how common this is, that eating disorders, we need to get people the help that they need. So, again, thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. Thank you. Today's show was engineered by our producer, Michelle McAdoo, and I believe she was also our call screener. Yes. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.